American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. The other day. When I was really having a, a tough time focusing because of my stupid ADD, you offered me a half of one of your Adderalls to see if it helped. I don't know if that's illegal. And I yeah, it's illegal, that. and you probably shouldn't be mentioning it. <laughs> but it didn't work for me. It made me more nervous, and it made me like on edge. I felt like I had a thousand cups of coffee. I was like, I felt like I was on crack. And then I found out Adderall is like basically meth, right? It's like the same it's ingredient. An amphetamine. That's crazy. So I was on meth for a day. I had a meeting that day. I must have been, been like a crazy person. Anyway, hated it. Felt awful. Um, you took half an Adderall. I know. I you know. You were on meth for a day. Yeah. It's a little bit dumb. <laughs> but anyway, that was the effect it had on me, and I, I guess I'm susceptible to medicine. So that just goes more to say this magic mind stuff that I've been yeah. trying, which I'm currently out of. Uh but that stuff really works, and because I'm susceptible to medicine, and it doesn't do that to me, but it does help me focus, um, and it helps me drink less coffee. So I talked to you guys about Magic Mind before. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a little tiny green elixir that takes like one second to drink, and it tastes like fruits and vegetables. Uh, tastes like apples to me, kind of. It's kind of sweet. Uh, Anyway, but it helps me uh, focus more and gives me hours of of things and it helps me drink less coffee also, uh, which is really cool. And I think uh, apparently the science behind it is more to do with the ingredients. Uh, Bacopa monnieri, which is a natural nootropic that helps with procrastination. It's supposed to be like a natural Adderall. Uh, so, mm. and they say... They say that procrastination is more based on stress in your cortisol levels, which is something coffee spikes. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, rather than being lazy, when people call oh, people with, you know, lazy. Yeah, lazy, it's not really mm-hmm. that. It's partly your stress. It can shut you down. Anyway, uh, so we have this solution. It's called Magic Mind. It's a delicious little drink. It doesn't take long. If you're like me and medicine makes you jittery and awful. Uh, try Magic Mind, and you just so happen to be able to get a discount using our link. Uh, go to magicmind.co slash ATL, and your discount code is ATL for American Timelines. Uh, go to ATL. So check it out. You can get up to 40% off a, a subscription, and uh, that's the way to go. I need to re-up my subscription because I need some more uh, to make me concentrate better. Anyway, it works for me, and it could work for you. And thanks to Magic Mind for giving us a discount. What what? And supporting American Timelines. Yes. And helping American Timelines reach more listeners, which is cool that yeah. they want to support us. Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy. That's Joe. And we are both very attractive. 
I feel like I'm popping my peas. Popping your peas? Do you need a pop filter? I got the pop filter. I switched microphones for some reason. Oh. They're like, you have that one, and I have this one, and we usually have each other's. Anyway. Welcome. To another episode of? Oh, wait, we already said that. Yeah, we did. So we are on 1957. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. This is a good episode. <laughs> Stop. We are currently in, that's Amy, I'm Joe, and we talk about true crime, mm-hmm. pop culture, history, just the state of the world in America, month by month. Right. Day Correct. by day. And we just talk about stuff that's interesting and just say, let's talk about it. Let's see what we think about it. Let's see what we know about it. Did you know this happened? I am. And so, so this is a history podcast. This is a pop culture podcast. Podcast. It's a popcast. Ooh, that's something new. It's a popcast. I'm sure that's already something. Oh. Well, think? why are you going to shoot me down? I well, everything I you can ever think of has already been done. So <laughs> just give up. That's just, my that's my advice to everyone. So never try. Yep, never try. If you have an idea, it's already been done. Yep. Better than you can do it. Right. No, but we're covering, we're jumping into March and April, and we're even going to dip our toes and balls into May. Yeah, we have to, of So, no, it's not for, unfortunately. We can do whatever we want because it's our it's podcast. it's our podcast. Yeah. Pipple. And if you don't like it. Then go I've, turn the channel. No. That's the whole no, point of this America. Please don't turn the channel. <laughs> if you don't like it, I sincerely apologize, and I'd like to still be friends. I'd like you to still give us eight stars and follow us on the Patreons. So America survived, by the way. Yeah. America survived, too. It survived the red wave. Yeah. That red wave was fierce. I've had bigger red waves. Red than wave. My underpants. <laughs> that's <laughs> gross. That's awful. Um, Sorry. No, that's uh, that's what the people, that's what the listeners that's tune what, in for. That's what they're tuning in that's for. What they, that's what they want to hear. Um, <laughs> that's what they want to hear. <laughs> that's why they listen. I don't think anybody wants to hear that. No, they do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we survived that. Um, Joe just got back from New York City. I was in New York City City for the New York Comedy Festival. I performed on 80 stages. I did 80 shows. It was rough. Uh, I opened for J.B. Smoove. Okay, that's not true. No, that's true. I I watched J.B. Smoove, though. Anyway, March 6th, 1957, we're going to jump in. Yep, let's do it. What do you know, Aim, about... Do you know much about Dred Scott? Uh, Yes, somewhat. As a teacher, what can you tell us? Well... Like give us an overview of off the top of your I head. I think the Dred Scott case was a court case in which um, I think he was a slave, and he he had went into free land with his master and and tried to petition that because he was in free land he should he shouldn't be a slave he should be freed, and this court case came along. And they said, "No, you're you're still property." Right. And it basically said that um, black people are are not um, citizens. Basically, they're 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 not human. They're property. Well, and kind of their their thought behind it was that. Um, yeah, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, that's myself. pretty good because you know that's around St. Louis too, right? Did you know St. Louis? Oh yeah, He's from St. Louis. Uh, yeah, that's right. I don't know if you. Was, I didn't know. So that. being from St. Louis is that like. Something you guys talked about a lot because it's local? I don't even remember. You don't remember? Okay. Um, I don't think they taught us a lot about civil rights stuff in general when I was in school. 
Well, yeah, that's kind of it. And then part of the ruling was that they were like, well, someone can't, someone can't lose their possessions just because of a law change. Right. Like, we can't take away people's possessions. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it was like they just, that's how they saw people. Yeah. You know, but the the weird thing about it was like the person who owned the lady who owned uh, Dred Scott at the time that was in court for this whole thing was a woman and she had she was a widow and she got remarried during the whole trial and everything. And yeah. so afterwards she got remarried to a guy who was uh didn't believe in slavery. He was like an abolitionist. Oh so, wow, so it did So then him. then they wanted to set him free. So they they actually I guess something like they ended up selling him to or she ended up selling him to the original his original owner's son who then freed him and he was but that owner's son was like paying for all his court cases and everything. Oh. But so he ended up getting freed mm-hmm. good shortly after mm-hmm. the trial was in eighteen fifty seven, so it's a hundred years yeah. before what where we're at in nineteen fifty seven. Mm-hmm. Um but then he died like Sixteen months later, uh, so he only of tuberculosis, so he only got to live for sixteen months as a free man. The reason we talk about Dred Scott is because in 1957, on March 6th, uh, it was exactly a hundred years after the Dred Scott slavery decision yes. was made, mm-hmm. um, where he was he lost the decision. But it was exactly a hundred years, and funny, uh, it was exactly the cent centenary birthday or whatever the hundred year birthday when they rediscovered Dred Scott's grave because his grave had been lost oh I didn't know that yeah so his he wasn't buried with his wife Mm -hmm. they were buried in separate cemeteries because when he died the the original owner his original owner uh Taylor Blau uh, who was the son of his original owners uh paid to have him buried somewhere really fancy but they ended up having to move that cemetery for uh St. Louis University which I oh, think you know where that yes. is so that used to be a cemetery they moved all the bodies and i guess in the hubbub they they lost Dred Scott's oh pro- probably racist issues probably yeah. they didn't care or something but so for a long time they nobody knew where he was buried um uh so anyway they found him on March 6, 1957. Oh, good. So they found where his grave was, and now it's got a uh, memorial, memorial or and stuff thing on it. So yeah. See it. Good. So that's a little bit of history that you may not have known. Sweet. Just kind of told sort of ramblingly mm-hmm. and probably not completely exactly right, but close. But our, our listeners don't tune in for exactly right. No, our listeners. They, they turn in for pretty close. They tune in for crass humans babbling on. About shit they found on the internet. About shit we found on the internet. It's basically all But you know what we're doing? We're saving our listeners the time of looking it up. That's right. You don't have to look it up, listeners. You don't have to look it up. All right. What's next, babe? These headphones suck, by the way. Like, it's all just... We also switch headphones. I didn't know this is what you heard all the time. This sucks. I apologize. March 12th, 1957. uh, We have two birthdays. One is a person and one is a book series. Oh. Okay, the the human birthday. Mm-hmm. Let's have the, go ahead, Matt Truman. It's a birthday. Amy, the human Amy birthday. Hates birthday Amy hates birthdays. Children's rhyming book series. So Michael J. Fox. 
And guess the book. Rhyming book series? Cat in the Hat. Cat in the Hat is correct. Michael J. Fox is incorrect. It's Jerry Levin's birthday. I don't know which one that is. He played Styles. Oh, okay. All right. Don't yell. He had a t-shirt that said, what are you looking at, dick nose? (laughs) I want that t-shirt. Well, maybe Christmas is coming, babe. Oh, I want that t-shirt. What are you looking at, dick nose? Anyway, Jerry Levine graduated from Boston University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Uh, his career started as an actor on the television series Charles in Charge in 1984 before moving into films with his debut in 1985's Teen Wolf. And I honestly, Wikipedia didn't have a listing of his high school or anything, so you are spared with oh, that. Oh, God. But on that same day, Jerry Levine was born. Random House and Houghton, is it Houghton Mifflin? Houghton, Houghton Mif- I think. Houghton Mifflin. They co-published mm-hmm. The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. Uh, and do you know what Dr. Seuss's real name is? Theodore Geisel. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's really hello. good. How do you know that? I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah. I'm an true. elementary school teacher. <laughs> the story centers on a tall anthropomorphic cat who wears a red and white striped top hat and a red bow tie. And the cat shows up at the house of Sally and her brother, one rainy day when their mother is away, and despite the repeated objections of the children's fish, the cat shows the children a few of his tricks in an attempt to entertain them. In the process, he and his companions, Thing 1 and Thing 2, wreck the house. As the children and the fish become more alarmed, the cat produces a machine that he uses to clean everything up and disappears just before the children's mother comes home. That's a weird psychedelic mm-hmm. thing, isn't it, kind of? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of... Well, His all of his are like... That kind of, like, or the of... creatures that aren't really animals, like you're not sure, like the Lorax and yeah, stuff. Yeah, all those little like, things. That... Yeah. I used to love the Dr. Seuss Oh, they're creatures great. Creations, yeah. I mean, he's um, got, uh, he's problematic in some ways, but. He is? Giesel he, is? He, yeah, he did some oh, kind of racist uh, depictions in some of his books, but they oh, banned, really? they, the, they stopped. They got rid of those? They got rid of those, and then, of course, the Republicans all said it was the Democrats that got rid of them, but oh, it was yeah, just right. the guy's old, uh, you know, foundation Realized. or whatever oh, yeah, that did pulled yeah. them. Well, he created the book in response to a debate in the U.S. about literacy mm-hmm. in early childhood and the ineffective ineffectiveness of traditional primers, such as those featuring Dick and Jane. Giesel was asked to write a more entertaining primer by William Spalding. And some people say primer, but I always say primer. Uh, anyway, uh William Spaulding told him to make a more entertaining one because Dick and Jane was boring, mm-hmm. and he had met this guy during World War II, and he was the director of the education division at Houghton Mifflin, who also did Reading Jogs Your Mind, by the way. However, because Geisel was already under contract with Random House, the two publishers agreed to a deal. Houghton Mifflin published the education edition, which was sold to schools, and Random House published the trade edition, which was sold in bookstores. There so that's how they... yeah. The Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that. Yep. And he made, specifically, he wrote The Cat in the Hat because he used to tell people he was so frustrated with a word list from which he was allowed to choose words to write his story because they gave him a limited word list, apparently. Well, you have to. I mean, you have to limit your words because they're learning to read. Because kids only know so words. Yeah, so he you scanned, have to have very easily, easily decodable words. Yeah, so he got the short list and he was frustrated, so he scanned the list. To create a story based on the first two rhyming words he found, which were cat and hat. So there you go. Sweet. And then on March 15th, <laughs> March 15th, 
1957, we have another birthday. Mm-hmm. This one's a good one. You're going to love it. Uh, bet I don't. Park Overall was born. <laughs> you know, no. you know who Park Overall is. No, you don't. I. Biloxi Blues and Empty Nest. I don't know. I'd, if I saw a picture, probably yeah. She's the, she's the nurse on Empty Nest. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know why I can't run. Park oh Overall. Freaking remember but that. But she was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and raised in Greenville, Tennessee. Uh, she's the daughter of a federal magistrate judge. And a professor of English, and she described her parents as yellow dog Democrats. As a teen- teenager, mm-hmm. she worked on a poli- on political. God, I'm just mumbling. As a teenager, she worked on the political campaigns of Tom Wiseman and Jim Sasser. How about mm. that? How about that? And on March 16th were the Emmy Awards of 1957. Okay. And the winners were the Phil Silvers Show, Robert Young and Loretta Young. The Phil Silvers Show. Do you know what that was? No. That was the original Sergeant Bilko. Oh. That you know, Steve Martin did? There was originally yeah. a TV show called The Phil Silver Show. Okay. Yeah. How about, th- how about that? How about that? How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? And then on St. Patrick's Day, 1957, a presidential plane crashes on Mount Manungal in Cebu, Philippines, killing 25 people, including the Filipino president, Ramon Magsaysay. Oh, my. That's sad. Yeah. And he was like... Supposedly the most non-corrupt. Yeah, because the Philippines is fucked. No, he was like Like they they assassinate drug dealers. Well, I looked this up because I wondered if maybe he was like maybe there was foul play or something, but Mm -hmm. I didn't find anything. Yeah, intrigue. Let me just say that Resonant Culture Lightning Drops is a delicious IPA. Okay. Uh, Oh, no. I have Spike Lee's birthday, but... Goddamn. March 20th, Spike Lee, Shelton Jackson Lee, was born in Atlanta, Georgia. I like him. You like Spike Lee? Yeah. His mother was a teacher of arts and black literature, and his father was a jazz musician and composer. Of course. Yeah. Spike Lee's so cool, you know. And I didn't know he's from Atlanta. Did you know that? Uh, no. I don't um, think so. When, is he, when he was a child, his family moved from Atlanta to Brooklyn, uh, and his mother named nicknamed him Spike during his childhood. And he attended John Dewey High School in Brooklyn's Gravesend neighborhood. The team colors are red and gray, home of the Dewey Dragons, and notable alumni Jeffrey Owens from the Huxtable family. Oh, boy. You know, the oldest brother, Jeffrey Owens? No. Elvin, or, no, he married Sandra, Elvin. Oh, I don't know. And he was in the news recently because people were making fun of him on social media because he works, like, at a Best Buy or something. Oh, the poor guy. And they were like, oh, look at this guy's Elvin from the Cosby Show. Look, what a loser. You know, and he was like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know, I have to work. Yeah. You know? Poor guy. I've, I, tr- I would love to be an actor, but I'm not getting roles. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, some people have cast him because of all that. So I cast him in shows again just because oh, well, nice. of all that. So anyway, that's a little okay, unknown okay. thing that he went to school with Spike Lee. And then on March 23rd, 1957, the 19th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, the North Carolina Tar Heels beat the Kansas Jayhawks 54-53 in three overtimes. Wilt Chamberlain was... Having sex with women on the half line. <laughs> he, he was having he had sex with a lot of women during that game. Yeah. But he f- played for Kansas, and he was 
the fourth player to be named tournament MOP, uh, despite not playing for the championship team. So his team lost, but he still won MOP. I don't know what that means. I think it's supposed to be MVP, but probably where I copied it from, turn it to MOP, whatever the most most obvious player. Uh, <laughs> uh, outstanding oh, amazing. player. Oh, amazing. Oh, outstanding. Outstanding. Most outstanding be? player. Maybe that's what it is. Oh. March twenty third, the U.S. Army sold their last homing pigeons. Aw. They decided to give up on the homing pigeon idea. They probably had technology by then. That yeah, phones. Started. Like they had yeah. phones and stuff. Walkie talkies and shit. So they didn't need them. But uh, yeah, so the, they used homing pigeons a lot in World War One and Two, mm-hmm. uh, and they would train and use homing pigeons for communications and reconnaissance purposes. Yep. Uh, did you know that during, <laughs> during World War Two? The force consisted of 3,150 soldiers and 54,000 war pigeons. Wow. Which were considered an undetectable method of communication. Over 90% of U.S. Army messages sent by pigeons were received. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yes. These animals, these they're, are birds. They're amazing. Yep. Uh, it's like Game of Thrones or something. Yeah. And A raven. A, and when they got, we decided to get rid of the using the homing pigeons. Yeah. In 1957 here, uh, 15 hero pigeons were donated to zoos, and about 1,000 other pigeons were sold to the public. You could just buy a homing pigeon that was used in the war. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to, like, teach them how to... Well, they have sonar. Like, these animals have sonar. It's weird. Like, they have a built-in... Yeah. Like, they can use the North Pole to know where they are. Isn't that crazy? crazy? We don't talk about pigeons enough. That's true. They're amazing. God damn it. I was reading something about dogs have, like, dogs have some sort of crazy sense. Well, dogs sense. have the scent, the like, smell. So well, the that, smell, but they also so can sense, like, death and things like that, they say. Dogs and are. And sickness. There's they sickness, cancer and alien. stuff. Like, dogs are amazing. There was some le- legit articles. Potty. Don't you go potty as I yell at our dog. Don't you piss in the garage. Ralphie. Ralphie, come here. No peeing in a garage, Ralphie. You're amazing. You have amazing powers. Don't piss all over everything. <laughs> Goodbye. Good, Good boy, Ralphie. Good boy. Good boy. What were you, you going to say? I don't know. I forgot. Something about dogs. I was reading something about how dogs might be Oh, but they. Oh, aliens. I know, because they, they might be able to t- detect cancer. Yes. They can detect all kinds of stuff. Like, there's amazing yeah. things that they can just sense. Crazy. And then they piss all over the house. They piss all over everything. All right, March 25th. See, we're already done with March almost. March 25th, 1957, U.S. Customs agents seized more than 500 copies of the Allen Ginsberg poem Howl on charges that it was obscene. I don't know if I've ever read that. So I was going to try to read it. Did you read it? It's long. No, I haven't read it. But it contains many references to illicit drugs and sexual practices, both heterosexual and homosexual. Oh, boo. You can't talk about homosexual sex in 1957. Oh, boy. You got to get that off the shelves. Drugs and sex. Drugs and gay guys. Claiming that Nothing the book... will piss off the conservatives more. Well, no, think about it. This is 1957. Everybody oh. was conservative. That's true. Claiming that the book was obscene, customs officials seized 520 copies of the poem that were being imported from England on March 25th, 1957. And only two days later were the 29th Annual Academy Awards Around the World in 80 Days won. Ingrid Bergman won for Anastasia. Mm-hmm. And Yul Brenner won for... The King and I? Yes, the King and I! Mm. You're a genius. 
I'm pretty smart. You're not only beautiful, but you're a genius. Anyway, this was the first year that all of the five Best Picture nominees were in color. Oh. And the first Oscar telecast to be videotaped for later broadcast for those network affiliates that didn't want to broadcast the event live. I see. James Dean became the only actor to receive a second posthumous nomination for acting. Ingrid Bergman was not present to collect her award for Best Actress. Cary Grant accepted on her behalf. She did, however, list the nominees for Best Director by a pre-recorded segment from Paris while the winner was announced by host Jerry Lewis. And now we're in April of 1957 on April Fool's Day. April Fool's, bitch. Of 1957, the BBC broadcasted a hoax on Panorama in which they convinced the nation that spaghetti was grown from spaghetti trees in Italy and Switzerland. Oh, my God. When viewers asked how they could grow their own, they were told to place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. The last two weeks of March are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavor and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over and the spaghetti harvest goes forward. And then on April 6, 1957, a 13-year-old Jimmy Page... From Led Zeppelin, played on a BBC talent show in 1957. He's only 13. When asked what he wanted to do after schooling, Page said... What are your two names? Yours is... James Page and... David Haskell. Both from Epsom. Yes. And you're just learning to play the guitar? Yes. From a teacher. From a teacher. Do you play anything except skiffle? Yes. Spanish and dance. Do you as well? Can you move on? What are you going to do when you leave school? Take up skiffle? No, I want to do, uh, well, biological research. Do you? Hmm. I knew that already. What do you mean by biological research? Well, cancer, if it isn't discovered by then. You mean be a doctor? No. No, I haven't got enough brains for that, I don't think. Not enough brains? No. Well, I'm sure you have. I want to do biological research and find a cure for cancer. Little did he know he would only find a cure for women's horniness. Yeah, that's true, he did. He banged a lot of ladies. He Didn't he have did. some kind of Me Too thing? Like he banged underage girls or something? Probably. I only know that from the Beastie Boys line. If I play guitar, beat Jimmy Page, the girl is I like uh, underage. So you're making an assumption based on a rap lyric? Yeah, based on that lyric. Mm. An assumption that smears somebody else's reputation. <laughs> I guess it does. Yeah. Maybe I'll fix that in post. You might want to. April 10th, 1957. 12 Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet, starring Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb, is released. Did you know that in that film, the focal length of the lenses and the cameras used were gradually increased to create a feeling of claustrophobia? Oh, cool. Does that make you want to go see that? Yeah. Watch it again? Yeah. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I haven't mind. seen it in a long time. Yeah, I don't know if I have either. I just remember it's good. You want to watch it together nude? No, maybe to- just shirtless. Just topless? Yeah, maybe. Both of us topless. <laughs> then April 17th, 1957, the CDC does not know how many labs throughout the U.S. still store the 1957 flu virus that killed around 2 million people. But yeah. they are storing it, according to History.com. Really? Yeah. And then on April 22nd, 1957, mm-hmm. all National League baseball teams... 
are now fully integrated because John Irwin Kennedy becomes the first black player for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, Philadelphia Phillies. Why did I say the Eagles? I'm reading it off a thing that says Phillies. On April 22nd, 1957, uh, 10 years after Jackie Robinson broke the Major League Baseball's color burial barrier, in the eighth inning with a 5-1 to loss to the Brooklyn Dodgers at Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City, Kennedy enters the game as a pinch runner. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, there were still some teams that didn't have a black player, so it wasn't until 1959 when Elijah Pumpsy Green was the first black player on the Boston Red Sox, uh, which became the last Major League Baseball team to integrate. That's according to History.com, too. Yeah. I like the name Elijah Pumpsy Green. Yeah. I want to call people Pumpsy. What's up, Pumpsy? Shut And then we got one more birthday before we jump into May and your big awesome story. April 23rd, 1957. You want to guess what female SNL alum who is now dead was born? Uh, Gilda Radner. No. Mm. This one woman was born in... Raised in Decatur, Georgia, where she attended Canby Lane Elementary Lorraine School Newman, is she and still Towers alive? High School. She's still alive. Oh. She's attended Towers High School, team colors maroon and white, home of the Titans. Notable, notable alumni include Richard Jewell, a security <laughs> oh, guard, Yeah, you know, who, who yeah. was a hero he was and he was for, blamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was Jan Poor Hooks. Guy. Jan Hooks oh, went to Jan high school Hooks, with him. Yeah. yeah. She was great. I love Jan great. Hooks. Yeah, I really wish she was, was still alive. And then in 1974, she moved to Fort Myers, Florida, because her father was a Sears employee, was transferred to a different store. (coughs) And that brings us right to May of 1957, where the only thing I have at the beginning of May is that gangster Frank Costello escaped an assassination attempt made by rival mobsters. Uh, There's not really any great details in that, except that uh, he wasn't killed. They were trying to kill him, and he got shot, but he didn't die. And that brings us to May 7th, 1957, where Amy's going to tell us. Oh, May 5th? Did I give you the wrong date? Uh, You told me May 7th, but that's fine. All right. May 5th, 1957, Amy's going to tell us about the Pollock twins. The Pollock sisters, yes. So uh, my two sources, main sources, Historic Mysteries website. Okay. Jim H. Historic Historic Mysteries. And a Medium.com article by Martina Petkova. Okay. And then Wikipedia and Murderpedia. No, not this one. No, just Wikipedia. So I can delete Murderpedia from the notes. Yeah, no Murderpedia. Just no Wiki- Murderpedia, y'all. Yeah. All right. So on a Sunday morning on May 5th, 1957, yeah. a, a woman who was bewitched by despair after having been forcibly separated from her children decided to commit suicide. She took what she believed to be lethal quantities of aspirin and phenobarbitone, got into her car with the intention of colliding somewhere at full speed. Wait a minute. Phenobarbitone? That's what it said. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that's like a phenobarbital-ish thing. Residents of the small town of Hexham, Northumberland, England, saw her driving erratically through the quiet streets. Her, Her final stop was a wall running along a sidewalk. She rammed right at it, but didn't die. Instead, the collision killed three children who happened to be walking to church in that very moment. Oh, my God. So she was trying to kill herself. Yes. But she killed children? Three children? They were trapped between the car and the wall behind them. The impact tossed them into the air like cricket balls. Oh, no. The woman was taken into custody and eventually sent to a psychiatric facility. The three children, 11-year-old Joanna Pollock, 
Her six-year-old sister Jacqueline Pollock and their friend died. Their families were bereft, and that was the end of it. Or was it? Wait a minute. Who died? An 11-year-old and a Mm six-year-old? Yes. And then a friend. And then their friend, yes. But they're not twins. They're not twins, no. So, about a year, well, we'll get to it. Okay. About a year later, Florence Pollock, who was the mom, she got pregnant. And the gave, mom of the of two kids. The two, the two so there's two girls, two died. sisters, and a friend. Yes. She's the mom of the two sisters. Right. She got pregnant, and she gave birth to twin girls on so, October 4th, 1958. Oh, so a year later. Yes. And their names were Jillian and Jennifer, and they were identical twins, but they had different birthmarks. Jennifer had a birthmark on her waist that matched a birthmark that Jacqueline had had. The kid who died? Yeah. She also had a birthmark on her forehead that resembled a scar that Jacqueline had had. What? So the family moved to Whitley Bay, where the twins were three months old. Two years later, they were presented with toys that had been stored in the attic. Old toys of Joanna and Jacqueline. the other girls had died. The girls didn't fight over them. Jillian claimed Joanna's toys as her own, and Jennifer claimed Jacqueline's. Since Joanna was five years older than Jacqueline, she had taken a more motherly and responsible role towards her younger sister. The Pollock parents observed a similar dynamic with the twins. Jillian was acting more mature and responsible than Jennifer. Jennifer accepted Jillian's motherly attitude towards her without question. Do you think it's just the parents projecting this onto them? It very well could be. Joanna loved experimenting with costumes and acting in plays she made up, and Jillian had the same interests. Joanna also used to say... I will never be a lady, something her parents later understood as a premonition that she'll never grow up. Uh. Joanna and Jacqueline were raised predominantly by their grandmother because John and Florence had been busy with their grocery and milk delivery business. This was the first, the, the older first ones? girls. The yeah. first set? Yeah. By the time Jillian and Jennifer were born, Florence was free and acting as the primary caregiver. It's very difficult with all the J's. I here. know. So the first ones are, say again, Jacqueline jo- and uh, Joanna. Joanna, and then Jillian and Jennifer. Are the Jillian and Jennifer are the new ones, new ones. that. Yeah, that, I, I see where you're going here. Yes. The younger ones, the twins, they think are reincarnated. Yes. So one of the things, too, right before her death, Jacqueline was still learning to write, and her teacher had told her parents that something needed to be done about her holding a pencil upright in her fist. Okay. When Jillian and Jennifer started learning to write, Jillian held the pencil correctly right away, and Jennifer struggled with it until age seven. Still, even as a young adult, she reverted back to holding the pen up right in her fist. The same way as the previous girl did. And they kind of had the same build. Uh. And then the when the twins were nine months old, the family moved away from Hexham. Three or four years later, the Pollocks returned for the first time. Jillian and Jennifer were familiar with the area and wanted to cross the road and go to the park and the swings, clearly knowing their way around. When Joanna and Jacqueline were still alive, Florence wore a specific smock to help her husband with the milk delivery business. Jacqueline was still little and home all the time while Joanna was at school and not present when Florence delivered the milk. When the two girls died, Florence stopped helping with the business and the smock was stored away. Then, when Jillian and Jennifer were almost five, John put on the smock to do some painting. Jennifer saw him and asked, why are you wearing Mommy's coat? John asked Mm. her how did she know this was Florence's coat and she replied that her mother had worn it while delivering milk. Jennifer also became extremely annoyed with Jillian. She could have saw a picture. Could have, yeah. Um... Once, Jillian pointed to Jennifer's forehead birthmark and said, this is the mark Jennifer got when she fell in a bucket. And um, the the girls were very afraid of cars. They were very skittish when it came to crossing streets. Yeah, well, I get, um, they're, they're, I'm sure they knew about their And then sisters. one day, Florence yeah. saw Jillian cradling Jennifer's head saying, the blood's coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. 
Their father reported that when he identified the bodies of Joanna and Jacqueline, Jacqueline's head was bandaged above the eyes. Mm. Um, so they, they have twins have eventually attracted the attention of Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was a psychologist who studied reincarnation in children. Sounds like a reputable guy. <laughs> In 1987, he wrote a book called Children Who Remember Previous Lives, A Question of Reincarnation. Now that, let's just pause for a second. That is a thing. And if you go on YouTube, you can fall down a huge rabbit hole of all these stories. I know, and I'm going to get to a few. Of children. Oh, you are? Oh, my God. These are, sometimes I just watch these on YouTube just to be like, okay, there is something something else that happens. So he described 14 cases of reincarnation, including the Pollock girls. Um, he and studied he studied reincarnation for 40 years. Um, he investigated thousands of cases. A majority took place in Asian countries where many people believe really? in reincarnation. So do you have to believe for well, it to be real? Well, he preferred maybe? to conduct his research where belief was common because parents who did not believe in reincarnation often discouraged a child from talking about their yeah, past yeah, lives. Yeah, they wouldn't want them So to, it's yeah. not so much that it occurs more often in Asian countries. It's just that the parents will allow their children to talk about it more freely. So is it? Do you think it's weird for the parents? Like, you don't want, you, you don't want to believe, like, we don't want to believe our daughter, Audrey, who was on last episode. I don't want to believe that she's some old German lady. Why not? I don't know. I want her to be my daughter. I don't want her to be some old German lady. Well. Or she... old, you know, French guy so, who smokes cigarettes. Um, A lot of people, like John Pollock the dad, yeah. believe in reincarnation. It's a tenet of some religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. Yeah. Um, I think I believe in it too. Researchers like Dr. Stevenson have been studying it. I already said that. Um, Why did you say it again? I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I must have copied and pasted it twice. Well, you know what I do? You know what I'm going to do right here? What? I'm going to be the bigger man and yeah, I'm going to accept your right apology. Right. I'm going to accept your apology. Officially, on behalf of the podcast and on behalf of the listeners, I'm going to accept... Your apology. So skeptics point out that Jillian and Jennifer would have inadvertently learned a lot about their deceased sisters. After all, they were born a little over a year after the tragedy. And there was grief, you know, and that was a big presence. Um, and the impression that the parents had on about the sisters would have made a big, had a big role. Their fear of cars could have been explained as absorbing that fear from their parents. John Pollock is another factor. He was a Catholic he was a fervent believer in reincarnation and used to pray for proof. He believed mm-hmm. the death of his daughters was a punishment for praying so much to receive indisputable evidence that reincarnation is real. Mm-hmm. When Florence got pregnant, he was convinced that this is it and told her that Joanna and Jacqueline will both reincarnate even though they were told by the doctor that Florence was only carrying one child. But she did give birth to twins. And um, they don't know if they internalized their father's desperate need to believe in reincarnation yeah and i think he could probably project a lot of that stuff too see she's just like so and you know at some extent siblings are like their siblings you know like they have similarities and their their um, memories stop their past life memories stopped at the age of seven okay um then let me see. Because one was six and one was 11. Then something happened in 1981. Okay. Jillian had visions in which she saw herself playing in a sandpit in Wickham, a town the family lived in when Joanna was around three years old. Jillian described perfectly the lawn, the house, and the gardens. She had never set foot in Wickham. Really? It's, yeah. So it does seem strange that such young children could have memories that do not seem their own. Yeah. Um. The Pollock twins are just one of many examples that seem to be cases of reincarnation. So, 
if reincarnation is real and we can come back after death, then we can hope at least, you know, there's a little bit of hope there. If you think, if you believe that, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a little kid in San Francisco who was like real attached to airplanes. He was like three and he knew all about these airplane parts from like 1940s um, fighter jets. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I listen heard to that. About him? Yeah, I've heard of that. One on and YouTube. like he he said that he died in a plane crash in the war and all this crazy stuff. And he knew so much. And the parents were like, I don't know, I don't know where he went. Yeah, I I, li- I listened to that story on. I want to say on YouTube. Uh, it was like on it was on like Dateline or something like reputable. I think. Yeah. So that's crazy. So that's the story of the Pollock sisters and. You know, whether they were reincarnated as their twins. Yeah. But if you go on YouTube, everybody, get down a rabbit hole. There's a lot of... A lot of those reincarnated Yeah, people kids. that feel like they're reincarnated. They know stuff. And then, like, even contact the I think relatives. Kids also, I think kids also can... Like, little kids also can see... I see they see ghosts. Ghosts and stuff, and stuff. yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. when Henry was little and he would say... Yeah. You know, weird things. We every once in a while, like he couldn't sleep because we tell those people to stop talking in the hallway. Yeah, or whose arm like that. is that floating in the yeah. air? And he's weird. He was talking to my dad who had passed away a year before he was born. Yeah, in the closet. But you know, I also had told him about my dad a lot. So like who knows? I wanted him to know. But this one about this kid in the it was like a uh, he he remembered dying in a plane crash. Yeah, or in, a, in a war. <clears throat> and, and they, and they tracked name. it down. That kid knew his name. Yeah. yeah. He knew his sister's name. And they found the people. Yeah. And they talked to him. They were like, oh, my God, he knows things that yeah. there's no way he wouldn't have known. So it's got to be real. Yeah. It's got to be real. Yeah. Uh, why everybody doesn't, I don't know. But anyway. That's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of thanks American so Timelines by History for Jerks. And if you're still listening and rating and reviewing and subscribing, you're great. Yes, if you're awesome. not, then Fuck you! Just <laughs> kidding. We love you all. Yeah, we love everybody. We love all of you, even those of you who aren't listening. And if you're in a vehicle somewhere with a, a spouse or a friend that is insisting that you listen because they like it, and if you really don't like it and you're like, this sucks, but I don't want to tell them. Don't say anything. Austin, say, go ahead and just say something. Don't, no, keep it to yourself. Oh, yeah, just keep it to yourself. Yeah. Don't shut tell up. anybody we yeah, suck. Shut up. Anyway, I like beer. All right. Talk to you later. Time you to get like out beer? of here, Chuck Berry. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear Chuck Berry. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you. You're all good looking. Check out the Gruff and Loud Show and Nerd School Podcast, too.
Matt Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Buy their music.